Hey, what is up? And welcome to today's Featured Friday episode of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Lofermento, but I am not the only one on today's episode. I am so excited about this week's guest. His name is Ray Blakeney. He is a location-independent entrepreneur. He's living down in Mexico right now. He's a really interesting guy who has bootstrapped multiple six- and seven-figure businesses, including one of the top online language instructional companies called LiveLink. But we're going to talk all about that stuff. Ray is a wealth of knowledge. When I Googled this guy, so we were introduced between a mutual contact. And when I Googled him, one of the first things that I saw that come up about him is it literally just said, Ray is a genius. So I'm really excited to talk to Ray here on today's episode. You're in for a real treat, which is why I'm not going to waste any time. Without further ado, let's dive into my interview with Ray Blakeney. intro man how you feeling today um now i'm nervous i was fine before but now i got a lot to live up to so uh, i'll do my best right it's true. So obviously you heard me give listeners a little bit of your bio, and I always like to go way beyond the bio. Let's start with a tough question that entrepreneurs are always asked. Ray, when people meet you and they say, what the heck do you do? How do you answer that? Well, what I tell them is I build six and seven figure businesses in my Superman pajamas from my house. That's my quick answer to get even a more confused look from them. <laughs> I love that. But also from what I've seen of you, you also do some sword fighting. What's that all about? I am a semi-professional sword fighter. Um, so I've been practicing a Japanese martial art called Kendo for about 20 years now. I actually went to the tryout for the U.S. national team back in my 20s. Um, did not make it, but uh, you know I was good enough to at least go to the tryouts. And I've been practicing for all that time. So I, I sword fight when it's non-COVID times. The social distancing and sword fighting don't really go hand in hand with each other, but I'm hoping to get back to it as soon as possible. I don't know. Maybe we have different perspectives on sword fighting. If I'm in a sword fight, I'm social distancing as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to win, you got to get close at some point, right? <laughs> That's true. So for sure, we're going to talk about your businesses today. And I'm so excited, especially about Live Lingua. I have just really admired what you've done with Live Lingua, but also Podcast Hawk. You are a man after my own heart. Obviously, you're a fellow podcaster. So we love the podcasting game. But before we get to any of that, Take me back to your first business. What the heck was your first business? So I had no business launching a business when I got started, right? So I, a quick story of myself, I studied computer engineering in college, got out of college, did what you're supposed to do, right? Get a job at a big company, doing some programming. After doing about five years of that, I realized this was not the path I wanted to take. So I quit everything, sold my house, sold my car, and joined the Peace Corps, which sent me to Mexico living on $150 a month. At that time, I met the girl who would then become my wife, and she always dreamed about starting a language school. So I figured, I'm like, hey, we're in our mid-20s, we're young, why don't we just try starting a business together? That sounds fine. Um, so we did, and pure luck, it worked. Um, we were fully booked within three months. We had, you know, we were making enough money to live off of, and then swine flu hit. Right, suddenly all of our customers stopped coming. This was like the, pan the pandemic that was supposed to be COVID um, 10 years ago. And that's actually when we moved into the online space where we launched our online language, our online Spanish lessons actually. 
And that's really when our businesses took off. And at that point, honestly, that was my second business. I'm like, this whole business thing's easy. Why do people write books about it? I've never read a business book in my life and I just launched two of them. Uh, then I failed like five in a row, just to put it all into context. So business is not that easy, folks. It actually does take some skill. Um, but the first two businesses I launched, they worked. And that's how I got into the world of entrepreneurship. There's so many things that I love, even in that little nutshell of a journey. But Ray, I'm going to stroke the question that probably a lot of listeners have, because you got to remember, we're on the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. There's so many entrepreneurs out there who are thinking, well, if Ray failed and now he's got businesses that do seven figures in revenue, what the heck made him fail at first? What were some of your failures, Ray, and why did they fail? So... I think the biggest reason that there's two reasons that I think people fail when they're launching their business. Um, and I'll be specific to the online business world. That's what I know best. First off is they do not vet their idea. Well, they just come up with an idea and they don't check if anybody actually wants it, even though that's super easy to do in the online space. So if your idea is, I don't know, I want to sell pink lawn flamingos, right? That's what I want to do. I'm going to make millions because I love pink lawn flamingos. That's probably not the best reason to do it, but, Maybe there are thousands of people out there who are looking for pink lawn flamingos. So all you have to do is go to some keyword tools in Google. They're free and just type in pink lawn flamingos. See how many people in the world are looking for it. Generally, what I use as a rule of thumb is I think I can sell to 1% of them. So let's just say you, you go onto Google and you find out that a thousand people a month look for pink lawn flamingos. Pretend you can sell to 1% of those. That's 10 of them. So you're going to send, sell 10 pink lawn flamingos every month. Is that worth it for you? Most people don't do that analysis before they even start. If you're selling pink lawn flamingos for like $1,000 each, yeah, 10 is fine, you're great. Um, but if they're $10 products, you probably shouldn't launch this business. So they don't do this step in the beginning when they're starting off. The second thing is they let motivation kind of push them into the business. But that only takes you until, in my experience, between three to six months. Growing a business and having it succeed usually takes about two years in my experience. So they quit way beforehand. Most people do not have the discipline to work at something for two years without making any income from it. So step one, make sure people want it. Step two, make sure you're mentally prepared to work on it for two years before you make any money. If you do that, I think most businesses could succeed at different levels. Um, but most people will not do those things and never find out. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so glad that you said that. Actually, I was just on somebody else's podcast the other day and, and they asked me, what is the number one reason why entrepreneurs fail? And the way that I phrase it is I said, success hides around corners and you have to keep going without getting a taste of that success to see if you'll make it to where it is hiding. And you're right. So many people quit before that actually happens. And gosh, that kills me. It does. I mean, as you said, they could quit the day before their big client comes in or the day before, you know, Google does an update and suddenly your website's on number one and everybody's going to be buying your product, whatever it is. So don't quit, especially in the online space. If you plan your businesses right and you do a lot of the kind of the work up front, kind of maintaining them, especially if nobody's buying yet, is really low. You know, it's not that much work. So you can kind of just keep it going for a long time. It doesn't have to be, you know, you in there every single day trudging along. If you plan it right, you know, you just do some basic steps in the beginning. So keep at it. There's no reason to quit. It's not like the old days where you have a brick and mortar business and you're paying $10,000 in rent and utilities and property taxes and all that. No, it's online. You're paying $9.99 for your host and you can just keep it there for years for almost nothing. 
Yeah, for sure. Ray, I want to ask you this big question. And obviously, there's a lot of different topics that we can touch on. But the more that I get to know you, the more I just want to ask you, having seen behind the scenes of failed businesses of your own, and, and obviously your entrepreneurial friends, you've seen that. We've all seen ups and downs from our entrepreneurial circles. But also having seen behind the scenes of successful businesses, multiple six-figure businesses of your own, seven-figure businesses, What's the difference between the businesses that gain that traction and get to seven figures and beyond or multiple six figures versus the ones that sure they can have some success, make, make 50 K in revenue. We see it with coaches all the time and then they just fizzle Mm -hmm. out. So there are actually three different questions you asked in there and there are three different stages to building a business. At least that's how it's been for me. So the first stage is what you talked about, right? You need to get to the survival level of your business. That's generally a solopreneur part of the business. So you're doing everything, right? You're answering the emails, you're doing whatever the work is, and you're doing the market, right? So you're trying to grow the business. Most of us, I recommend starting at that point is you actually learn a lot about business, not only your business, but business in general. Um, So a lot of people do that, but they get stuck there because the next step is scary to them. The next step is you need to start building a small team. What does that imply? Not only does it imply managing people, it actually implies a much bigger, you know, big growth in your expenses because now you have other people to do. When you're starting off, and if you don't actually have SOPs in place, standard operating procedures for a lot of the processes that this person's going to do, you might actually be giving yourself more work, right? Because this person doesn't know what to do, so they're coming to you every minute, asking, "What do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do when this person has, you know, asked me this in this email?" You should have that all built up. That's going to take you from. Let's just say, you know, the mid five figures to six figures, maybe even mid six figures. If you do that with a small team, you can do that with like two to three people. You can get into the mid six figures range. Once you start getting past that, then you're starting to get into the real scaling area. Then the transition is for you. You have to transition from founder into CEO. And that's another place that people fail because being a founder, it's very hard for us to let go. I know this from personal experience. It's the fallacy of nobody can do this as well as me. Which is, you know, if you think you're, you know, I answered customer support emails for years because I told myself that. But really, is there nobody in the world who could write an email as well as me? I find that highly, highly unlikely, right? So transitioning to the CEO is another place where people fail because they are not willing to give up the reins and let good people come in and do the job better than you ever did it, which is what you need to do in order to get your business into the seven figures and into the multi seven figures. Yeah, I like that answer for so many different reasons. First of which is because it really gives you some focus no matter where you are in the entrepreneurial journey that you're listening to this. I mean, you heard Ray acknowledge openly that when you start, yeah, you are. And that's why Ray even puts it in his bio everywhere. He bootstraps his companies. He does do the work himself because at that stage, you do have more time than money. So Ray, I love the fact that you acknowledge that. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately in the world of entrepreneurship, to me, having my hands in as many businesses as I do of my own, of companies that I consult for, one of the big differences between real businesses versus kind of like these entrepreneurial hustles that too many people fall into is businesses are able to consistently and reliably generate customers and clients. What's your take on cracking that code? Well, so... If you're bootstrapping, my secret sauce for starting any new business has always been SEO, search engine optimization. Um, And if you're starting off in that phase that we were talking about, right, where you have time and you don't have money, that's kind of my go-to play. Even these days where luckily I do have the money, I like to bootstrap my businesses using SEO because it 
makes you evaluate everything and learn all the little steps. If you have money to throw at a problem, you can just kind of, you know, pave over the problem and you never actually solve the root problem. But SEO has been my marketing to get you kind of up to the mid-level. SEO is not super reliable when you get into, you know, competitive spaces because Google changes the algorithm. So, but it makes enough money that you now can have a budget to hire, let's say you try Facebook ads. Um, that might work for you. It didn't work for us in some of the businesses, but some other ones it did. Now you have extra money from Facebook ads. Now you can hire a B2B salesperson to do outbound sales. Um, at that point, you can hire somebody else to do more traditional kind of going on the morning shows or showing up on podcasts for you. Um, I, I haven't done that showing up on podcast part, but you can actually pay people to do that. But SEO is a great way, in my opinion, for people who want to go from entrepreneur to entrepreneur to get started, to get yourself in front of the right audience. Um, it's boring work, but it's actually a little less competitive than social media is these days. Um, you know, I, I joke people, I'm, you know, I'm not an Instagram influencer because I don't look very good in a bikini. So I, that, that route was not open to me, unfortunately, as far as marketing was concerned. <laughs> Ray, now, now that's what I'm picturing. Why'd you have to do that to me <laughs> mid-interview, man? <laughs> so that's what you're I'll doing your down in Mexico. Proof later, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why you're hiding out in Mexico. I get it now. <laughs> so I love the fact, look, I think you're the first podcast guest that has come on and openly said, yeah, Facebook ads didn't work for one of my businesses. So we looked at other traffic sources. And that's the thing. As entrepreneurs, so many people fall into these universal rules of like, because it's sexy and you hear Gary Vaynerchuk saying run some Facebook ads, send it to a lead magnet. How many times have we as marketers heard the word tripwire and people fall for all these different things? You've clearly not and you've experimented and you found what works for you. T talk to us about that because obviously it's a painful journey, but what has your experience been through that? So the key to finding the marketing tools, and this applies to actually key to finding the right business for you as well, is looking at things objectively. You don't go in emotionally and say, oh, don't put all your eggs in the Facebook basket, for example. Um, even if it's working for your while, they might change their algorithm, prices might go up, and it might become get to a point where it's no longer feasible or financially worth it for you to pay for Facebook ads. Then you move to Google Ads, and it works for a while and it, until it doesn't. And then you do SEO, which works for a while until it doesn't. The key to having a successful business, in my experience, is creating at least three different funnels for your customers to find you. So that if any one of them goes down, and I guarantee you that one of them will go down at some point for something, your business should be able to survive. Um, run the business as lean as well, so don't just kind of spend all the money you're getting. Um, but that has kind of been the methodology that has worked for me in my businesses and kind of kept me going over the years because, yeah, I get hit by SEO updates. Facebook recently just changed, now, changed something in their algorithm that has something to do with the iOS, right? So you can't track it as well. Um, so there's all these different things that you have to contemplate when you're doing the marketing. Enjoy it is also another bit of tip I'll give for you. Kind of these ups and downs are part of entrepreneurship. It's never a straight journey up um, and kind of be mentally prepared for that. Heck yeah. It's it's kind of like embracing. I mean, failure, for example, is not a de in destination in a journey. It literally mm -hmm. is part of the journey. So I love that attitude for sure. And you dropped another, another buzzword here today. You dropped the F word already, which is funnels. You said that businesses mm -hmm. should have three funnels for people to find them in. Can you give us an example? And let's use Live, Live Lingua as the example mm -hmm. because I love what you're doing with that business. It's so tempting for me. I really want to refine my French <laughs> and I'm just like, I should just do it through Live Lingua. So walk us through some of your good working marketing funnels there. Okay, so the funnel you build 
varies depending on what is working for you, right? So you can't think that I'm gonna build the perfect funnel that's gonna work for everything. Example, the first thing we do did in LiveLingual was SEO. SEO, again, is the art slash science of getting you to rank on Google algorithm updates, right? So if you search for something on Google, you wanna be on the first page, ideally in position number one. The funnel you built for that is very different than the funnel you would build for Facebook. The reason being is if somebody goes into Google and searches for something, they're probably much lower in the funnel. If you've optimized it right, I'm gonna use LiveLingua. If you're looking for online Spanish tutors, we rank in the top three in the world, right? If you're looking for online Spanish tutors and LiveLingua comes up in front of you offering online Spanish tutors, that funnel is a much shallower funnel for them to convert because they're already looking for what you have to offer. It's just a matter of getting them to try it and making the sale. In our case, we offer a free trial, reduce the friction, move them through the funnel. The other extreme is something like Facebook ads, which again, didn't work for us. The reason it doesn't work is generally on Facebook, when you're showing it to a cold audience, I'm not talking about remarketing and there's other methodologies out there, but just general Facebook ads that a lot of people try, you're getting in front of a new audience and you have to spark interest in your product, get them to give you either sign up right away, which is really hard, or give you your email address, then pass that through a sequence of emails to get them warm so they know you and they want to try your product, then they're going to buy your product. So it could be instead of on SEO where the funnel is something they literally could be paying you within 24 hours, on Facebook it might take you a month to get that same person all the way through the funnel to a point where they give you their credit card. So that is the key in building funnels. Keep in mind that every single funnel, every single channel you use to push people into your funnel is different and the result and what they see in the messaging to get them to convert has to be different as well. There is no one fit funnel that fits everybody, uh, just like there's no one marketing channel that fits everybody. Because if there was, everybody would be a millionaire. And it wouldn't work, and it wouldn't work anymore either, right? Because everybody would do it and something would stop working. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Also true. So for those of you listening in the car or on the go or at the gym or in bed or in the shower, I want to call out, Ray just gave you some marketing knowledge right there, which is serve people where they are. And how many times here on the podcast have you heard me talk about traffic temperature? If somebody already knows that they wanna buy your stuff, that's an easy sale to close. Whereas if you're approaching somebody on the street completely cold, they don't even know about the problem that they have, you've got a heck of a lot more education and nurturing that you're gonna to have to do there. So Ray, I love the fact that pretty much every answer I, or every question I've asked you so far, you've answered by just saying, think about the people behind it. That's it, and that's the key. You, you know, when you're starting your business, once you've, as I was going to the idea, right? That's actually finding the people. Because what you're doing is you need to make sure people are actually looking for what you want. Once they start buying it, ask them why they bought it. Ask them who they are. Ask them, you know, because then you actually create, you know, the customer avatar and you really know who your audience is, which makes this whole funnel building a whole lot easier, right? Because you know the language to use. You know who they are. You know who you're speaking to, um, as opposed to trying to create this generic vanilla funnel that works for everybody across the board that probably won't convert very well. Yeah, for sure. Ray, this is why we all own a bunch of random domain names. One of my domain names oh, is thecustomerisTheanswer.com because I always like to say it. It's not the customer has the answer. Like the customer always is the answer. So I love that mm -hmm. attitude in the way that you approach businesses. But here's a fun question that I've been looking forward to asking you all week because you have launched multiple successful businesses. What is, take us to like the first three months, the first quarter of any new business. What are the actions that you actually focus on? So 
Those are my favorite times in every new business. I'll start by saying that. That is the fun, creative part. The reason I'm an entrepreneur is, to me, it's kind of art in the sense that you can actually be creative when you're starting your business before you've actually figured out what works is the time where you can try everything. Once you figure out what's worked, you have to double down on it and implement. At that point, I hire CEOs and CEO, COOs for my company because implementation is a slightly different skill set than this creation that I have for the businesses. My first three months is exactly that. It's trying to get my MVP, my minimum viable product in front of as many people as possible and asking for feedback, not selling it to them. It's asking for feedback on what they think of the product and taking that objectively. Do not take any product you build personally. If they say it's awful, believe them. You know, don't just say, no, that guy's wrong or all those 10 people who told me it's awful is wrong. I'm right. It's those people. Listen to them. It's awful. Why is it? Ask them why it's awful. Then go back and revamp it. And you might need this. That might just reset the counter back to the first three months because you might spend three months building something and it won't work. So you're back to zero again. You spend the next three months going out, just getting people to use it, getting the feedback until you get to a point where people are like, yeah, I like that. They don't have to love it yet. Don't get me wrong. We're not building the perfect product here. There is a quote. I think it's Jack Dorsey from Twitter said that if you, you know, if you wait for having the, the perfect product, you wait too long or something like that to launch it. I definitely believe in that. You know, I want to be embarrassed by the first version of my product, but it needs to be at least the minimum thing that somebody could look at. And like, this is useful to me. And or they can see the use that they're going to get out of it in a few months if I'm giving them this intro product. Um, example, I'll give you is podcast talk right now. We're in beta right now. We, we opened a beta about six months ago because, and I wasn't even planning on launching yet. So I wasn't following my own advice. In the first three months we built it, it's, it's a search engine that allows you to find podcasts to get booked on kind of simplified way. We help you find the podcasts. We even do the email pitching for you on autopilot. So you kind of set it up, set and forget, and you get on shows every single month. There are two components to that. One is the search part. One is the email part. I wanted to have them both in place before launching, but I talked to a friend of mine who's a successful entrepreneur and I just kind of showed him the search part we had. And he was the one who told me, he's like, what are you waiting for? Right now, if somebody wants to go on Google and find podcasts to appear on, it takes them ages or they have to pay agencies thousands of dollars. What you have right now is worth a ton of money. You know, it's worth a ton for people to try it out and it would say, you know, it's a great value. So I took his advice and I launched it six months ago just with the search functionality. Very low price. Um, and we had, you know, 100 people sign up within the first month. I got great feedback on everything that was broken. Just trust me, there was a lot of stuff broken. Um, and those users have kind of built the direction of what the company's been going in for the last six months. So the product we have now is thanks to me launching six months ago. Um, we've got some actually really you know high-profile people get in on our company as investors and advisors as a result of me doing that. And we haven't even launched the email feature yet. That's actually launching in two weeks from the time we're recording this. So the email feature is going to launch soon. And then I'm sure I'm going to get the same feedback about how awful it is for the next six months until January where we fix it and we officially launch. So long question for the first three months, but that's generally the process that we did. Ray, I've been dying laughing in the background here because I love it. The way that you explained it to me, it's it's the Elon Musk model and what he's done with Tesla, where he was very clear from the outset. He said, yeah, we're selling the Tesla Model S. It's going to be crazy expensive because this is our means of getting to where we want to be, which is selling a mass market, affordable electric car. And so... 
to me, obviously, a different price approach. You started low price, but that's enabling you to build Podcast Hawk into something that everybody's going to be able to and want to use really quickly. So I want you to talk to the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are listening saying, well, Ray, that's so cool. You developed this SaaS. You developed this actual software, this technology behind Podcast Hawk. How the heck am I supposed to do that? I'm just starting out. I don't have those resources. You, I actually spent no money to do this, right? So don't think it's like a huge amount of resources that you throw at these. The first thing is, you know, come up with your idea, check if people are looking for it, and then just do it, but do it in the minimum way possible. So let's just say software might not be the way for you to go. I have, I have a slight advantage, I'm a software engineer, so I'm able to actually develop my own MVPs. But if you're launching a service business, almost any other kind of business, you can go out there and WordPress probably has a $20 plugin that'll at least let you try it. Don't worry if the page is awful. If I showed people the first page we launched for LiveLingua, because I'm a programmer, I'm not a graphic designer, and this was back in 2008, when there weren't these like marketplaces to buy templates, it was awful. I mean, embarrassingly ugly website, but we were six figures within 12 months, just with that website, because we threw it out there, people liked what we offered. They weren't looking at the, how pretty it was, they weren't looking at you know how slick everything looked. What we offered was meeting a need. Podcast talk is the same thing. I will tell you, our homepage isn't bad, but our product works. It works well. It just doesn't look pretty. We're not spending any time, you know, painting it or any all the rest of that stuff. Like you know, putting a nice UI UX on top of it. It needs to work. It needs to get the job done. The job is to get people booked on podcasts on autopilot. It is doing that. Later, you can worry about all that stuff. I'm not a graphic designer and all the rest of it. If you don't know how to do these programming, just put aside like a thousand dollars. Go on Upwork, find somebody. They can build you these minimum viable products and app for you for your for an iPhone for a thousand bucks. Just a bare bones basic to see if people like your idea. It's not free, but you can do it. Yeah, for sure. And you already alluded to service-based businesses are truly free. Go start trying to get Absolutely. people to buy from you. So I love mm -hmm. that advice. Ray, as people are listening to you, they're probably thinking, man, he's got Live Lingua, he's got Podcast Hawk. I haven't even mentioned your chocolate factory just yet. I'd love for you to talk a little <laughs> bit about that. I always say one of the key ingredients for entrepreneurs is focus. How the heck are you dictating your focus across these different ventures? So I, don't, I didn't launch them all at the same time. So I think that's one of the keys um, to keep track. When you see business owners who run multiple businesses, it's not because they launched three businesses at the same time. At least for me, that would never have worked. What I do is I launch businesses up to a point where they're self-sustaining. I find that my zone of excellence is kind of zero to seven figures. Even the low multi seven figures, I'm pretty good. But at that point, I bring in the experts. Like I hire a COO. I hire people who's, who are much better executing something every single day. I kind of get bored at that point of the business because the creativity side of the business goes out. That's how I do it. So when I do that, I kind of, I'm still in the CEO roles. I grow the business as a founder, shift into CEO, hire COOs and people to run the teams. And I still have my weekly level 10. We use a uh, business method called EOS, the entrepreneur operating, operating system in the companies. So I have my week, weekly meetings with them. We have quarterly and annual plans. That's it. That way the business is running itself, they're executing my plans over there, then I work on launching my new business, which, which is a side hustle. Essentially, I launch it as a side hustle until it too grows up and it works, and then I start hiring people, I do the same process, then I launch another one as a side hustle, and then I spend a year or two to build that one. Heck yeah. And where the heck, Mitko told me to ask you, where the heck does the chocolate factory figure into all this? 
Yeah, that was just a fluke, actually. So I, I, I've done some mentoring and advisors, you know, advisorship for people um, over the years. And there was this one girl in the Philippines, so I'm half Filipino, um, who I mentored and she wanted to start a BPO, so a business process outsourcing company in the Philippines. I advised her on that. She got up to about 12 users, but then it didn't really work out for her, so she closed it. But her family came from a chocolate background. So they made this really low processed chocolate in the Philippines. Um, which they kind of ground and mixed with sugar and the Filipinos, we drink it as hot chocolate. So it's not really kind of high-end chocolate. So her business failed, but we stayed in touch over that time. So for about two years, we were just chatting and about two years into it, she won a scholarship to go to Ghent, Belgium to study chocolatiering with the chocolatiers from Godiva. So she went over there and studied chocolatiering, came back to the Philippines as like the only certified chocolatier in the country. Then she reached out to me again. And she's like, "Hey, Ray, I'd like to start a you know Belgian chocolate factory here in the Philippines using our locally sourced chocolate and cacao, but we don't have the budget to do it." So I went over to my wife and I'm like, "Honey, would you like free chocolate for the rest of your life?" And she's like, "Yes." And then so we invested, and I was you know I was a majority owner of that company. I actually sold my stocks in that about a year ago, um, and I'm so good friends with her. But uh, for about five years, I owned a chocolate factory in Southeast Asia, and it's still going. You go to the Philippines, look for Ginto Chocolates. It's in all the supermarkets and all the rest of it. I love that. Ray, you are now the closest I've ever had to Willy Wonka coming on the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. I have a purple, I have a purple hat here somewhere. I, I, I just need to go and find it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ray, you and I could clearly talk about entrepreneurship all day, all along. But as we get towards the end of this episode, yes, I, you and I had joked around beforehand that 30 minutes is going to fly by. <laughs> and here we are 30 minutes later. You've been a wealth of knowledge. We've talked about focus. We've talked about leveraging your customer as the answer. We've talked about bootstrap using the resources that come your way. You've talked about learning through failure. So amidst all of those lessons, I really want you to boil it down for listeners who are wrapping up this episode saying, gosh, I'm feeling fired up right now. Ray's got me all sorts of excited about working on my business. Ray, what's the one best piece of advice that you have for these entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to go take action? Start your business today. Don't plan don't, you know, don't go out there and spend all this time reading the books and trying to plan your business for the next 12 months and coming up with a business plan. I've never written a business plan in my life. Uh, just get started. Throw something up. See if anybody wants to buy it. Most businesses fail because they never start. Heck yeah. Truer words have never been spoken. Ray, you've been such a wealth of knowledge. It's been so much fun for me to have you here on the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. Of course, I want to open the floor to you. Tell listeners where they can learn more about you and all the great things that you're doing. Well, the easiest way to get in touch with me is I told people I'm not very active on social media. Um, you can contact me on Facebook. I kind of date myself when I say that these days, apparently. Um, look up Ray Blakeney, and if you see a picture of somebody sword fighting, you have me there. You can go to my personal website, rayblakeney.com, R-A-Y-B-L-A-K-N-E-Y.com. Or you can actually find me on the About Us page of both of my businesses. So LiveLingua, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com, or Podcast Hawk, Podcast the Animal Hawk, H-A-W-K.com. Heck yeah. So you listeners heard it directly from Ray. All his different links and businesses. Really, if you just search Ray Blakeney on Google, you're going to find Ray in a million different places. Pod Podcast Hawk is an incredible tool that every single one of you, because I know you listeners so well, you'd benefit from Podcast Hawk. So if you want to start driving traffic to your business and you can't afford ads, Pod Podcast Hawk is a simple solution there. So Google or go straight to podcasthawk.com. So Ray, thank you so much for coming on to the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. Brian, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. 
Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast with your host, Brian Lofermento. For show notes and to get a free copy of Brian's book, visit us online at thewantrepreneurshow.com.